1: Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today we're talking to Dr. Sasha Hines, who's a developmental psychologist and mindset coach. She has a practice grounded in psychological science and positive and developmental psychology in particular. She helps the covertly underfulfilled feel as good as their lives look on paper. I wanted to have a conversation with Sasha because. She has a great way of talking about perfectionism and self-authorship in parents, in adults. That really does lend itself to growing your adult self so that you feel more comfortable in your own skin and supporting your kids. And the particular topic today on self-authorship and perfectionism really resonates with moms and parents who are setting out to try to do the best they can raising good humans. If you enjoy this episode, give it a five-star rating, write a little review. It helps me so much. And of course, keep DMing me on Instagram at Raising Good Humans Podcast so I can answer your questions and have more meaningful conversations to support this community. I want to talk about perfectionism in parenting specifically, but we can also talk about it more globally. But I also want to acknowledge the very real developmentally appropriate urge to be a perfect parent when you have a baby and to get it right mm-hmm. so that, because what I don't want to happen in this conversation is that now parents are berating themselves for being shitty parents because they're perfectionists. <laughs>
0: so right. I, it's it, such it's a-, a, a plan, right.
1: We cannot win. And so that's why I wanted to have you on because I think you have a balanced way of helping have that conversation. Do we want to be the best parents we can be? Yes. Is that developmentally appropriate to have to be responsible for the growth of a whole human or more than one human and want to get it right? Yes. Is there any way to get it right? No. No. (laughs) I mean, perfectly right. Or do we even know what that means? Right. Absolutely not. But we're doing our best. And how can we have this conversation where we're talking about supporting ourselves away from this perfectionistic parenting while simultaneously not alienating ourselves for wanting to be the best parents we can be. But in general, I want to get this conversation to a point where it resonates with perfectionists and it resonates with folks who are confused about whether or not they're perfectionists because they want to get parenting in the best place that it can be for themselves and honor this sort of privilege of being a parent and still really believe that it's not only impossible to be a perfect parent,
0: but it's really not good for your kids. Right, like can we be perfection-ish not perfectionist. Ah, yes. Well,
1: it's funny. You were talking about your own, because I know you obviously personally, so I know that you are a recovering perfectionist.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would make it a gerund, recovering. (laughs) So I'm not, in my view, Right. This is why I think you're so awesome at this. Like, I, this is why you're brilliant at your job. This is, why, no, this is why you're the best person to do this kind of work. Because I've, you know, I've spent lots of time with you and your kids and you just have an enormous amount of patience. You're funny. You have a lot of adaptive coping mechanisms with your kids that I'm, and I find, you know, I I think I just was like, oh my God, I'm just, I'm going to be psycho.
1: <laughs> I'm just going to be so you feel better, But I get that I have benefited in the sense that I am not experiencing that kind of pressure. But sometimes it makes me not understand how other people are experiencing that kind of pressure.
0: Yeah. So I think that, the you know, when you think about this, so talking about perfectionism and parenting and the way that I think about... so. One of the things I really want to like emphasize in this conversation is one of the things that I do get frustrated with, especially on Instagram, because everything is you know a thirty second little clip mm-hmm. right, so everything's reductive um and we use the medium too, so there we are, but you you know be a somewhat reasonable consumer of this material and information and know that it's reductive. but I think one of the things that I find frustrating about what the talk now about perfectionism on social media is like you know we want to talk about trauma or. Pathology or personality disorders or something, you know that it's it's deep therapeutic work. And I really want to say, mm, not really. The work of perfectionism really is about evolving from a more socialized mindset to a self-authored mindset, and that's an adult developmental stage and leap. So let's just talk about it in terms of our own adult growth. That it is normal to be. Other oriented it is normal it is normal, and by the way, like we all should be transcending this developmental stage where we actually care about what other people think of us. that's normal Great. that's not so awful <laughs> not bad. It's a good thing transcend that developmental stage. We're stuck in like very maladaptive narcissism, et cetera, et cetera, right so this is a very good thing. We do want our teenagers to to care about their impact on other people and develop empathy and a sense of duty and a sense of commitment to a community and to other people like this is all great and very important and then the problem is is that as we're in our 20s this kind of developmental structure and growth the, you know this sort of framework that we have around developmental growth starts to disintegrate and then you're off in your job and you go you know and you sort of start adulting and then you're let you're like let loose right like here you are you're done and the reality is, is that there's a whole other set of developmental tasks and stages that need to be accomplished, but we don't really do it with any structure. So what I want to say to people is like, if you're struggling with perfectionism, and by the way, it's all these things, perfectionism, people-pleasing, analysis, paralysis, procrastination, like all of these things, the P's, right? They're all about being you know, stuck in a socialized mindset. And like, what does that mean? It means that your self-concept, your sense of self, is constructed externally. So you're looking to someone else to see, am I doing a good job? Who am I? What's my role in society? What's my role in life? How am I doing? Like you're constantly vigilantly checking to see how you're doing. Now, we've all gone through this stage or we're in the stage going through it, but we're supposed to be, just as kids grow, so do adults, and we want to be moving more towards self-authorship, which is we develop an internalized sense of self. And that doesn't mean that we say, you know, we give the world the middle finger salute. It means that we, like a concentric rings in a tree, we've internalized the lesson from being socialized. Like we're good players with other people. We're well socialized. Like we're not, I mean, I think that, isn't that what I'm doing with my children? Like they're like wild beasts. I'm like, okay, we don't eat at a restaurant with our feet on the table. You know, let's socialize people and then- because we have to play in society. We have to live amongst others. That's part of the deal. It's part of the growth and development of humans. And then we want to internalize those lessons and transcend it and make it, it's this Piaget subject object dance. So we want to take what we're subject to other people's opinions and we want to transcend that and make other people's opinion no longer be subject to it, make it object, be able to look at it and be like, I recognize that I may be disappointing this really important person in my life by making this choice. And I can see that. And I'm still going to do what I think is the right thing to do. So you're not saying whatever, this kind of like you do you, like blowing off the world. You know, you're recognizing that it's something that a decision you make or things that you do might impact other people. And you're still, and you might disappoint someone, but you're willing to own your truth. It's a totally different experience because it's like, it's a developmental quantum leap. For adults.
1: Part of it is the reductive social media, part of it is just reductive pop psychology, kind of out there in the world. And part of it is a problem in the field of parent and child development, which is we are so extreme and so afraid of acknowledging certain things that are true. Like you are raising kids to function in a world with other people and and we don't want to skip over some of those developmental natural concerns. No. And yet there is space to keep growing and be self-actualized and have a sense of who you are without all of those concerns and then meeting in that
0: balanced place of middle. So how do we get there? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, this is, the thing is, is that when you begin, if you're someone as an adult who struggles with perfectionism, like I'm definitely like I do this a set a thousand times, like it's research, right? I get into this field because I'm like, Oh, <laughs> this is relatable. But you know, I struggle with a lot of that. And I think that being a, becoming a parent for me really kicked a lot of that back up to the surface of like recognizing, Oh wow. Like, isn't it interesting how I'm getting, losing my mind over something really trivial, but it seems like a really big deal to me. Like, the things that I, and I think every parent has experience, right? Looking back like your first child and you got upset about something like what they, I don't know. So I can see sort of note those silly myopic black and white thinking that I had, but the beautiful thing is recognizing like, oh, that was a developmental issue for me, right? Like, because I think it's so easy to say, oh, it's a trauma response. It's like, and I'm not minimizing people's experience, okay? Because, I mean, man, we've all had some really tough stuff happen that did impact us, not in a good way.
1: But it's not a personality disorder or necessarily a trauma response to just over focus on getting it right in these specific and minutiae ways. It's developmental.
0: Exactly. Like, it's like, oh, I, you know what? The truth is I just hadn't developed. I wasn't what we call, I mean, this sounds pretty not great, but it's, I wasn't a fully functioning adult. It's the truth, right? I wasn't fully internalized with my self-concept. I was still like, it's just the truth. Like I'm looking around, taking everyone's temperature. Like, how am I doing? You know, which is a childish view, right? It's a more childlike view of the world. Like, what'd you think? How am I doing? Did I good do a good job, mom? Right? I'm checking in as opposed to checking in with myself. Like, is this in alignment with my values? Do I feel that I did my best today? Do I like how I'm showing up? Like those, and I'm asking myself those questions. And the difference between those two different mindsets is massive. It's a massive developmental shift. And Robert Keegan, who all of this research comes from his work at Harvard. And I mean, what a brilliant, I, it's, I, to me, it's like this whole world just like blew my mind because it explained so much for me to understand. But, you know, he really likens it to a child. If you're on an airplane, you're flying up in the air with two kids, one's four, one's 10. The four-year-old's looking out the window and he's like, everything got small. Everything's now tiny. They think that everything is tiny. Everything became a machine, you know, like everything's miniature. And the 10-year-old says, no, they seem small. Okay, that is a mind-blowing perspective shift. The four-year-old doesn't have the sophistication to understand that the distance from the earth changes her perception. It makes them seem smaller. They think it's, an, it's a look smaller objective. Right. It's like reality. It's just, oh, now they're small. They're actually become small. The 10-year-old is sophisticated enough to understand this perspective shift. It's like they're wearing a different set of glasses. The same is true in adulthood when we go from a self, you know, a sort of socialized mindset where we're really, we're kind of, we're subject to relationships. So if important others are disappointed with us or don't like what we're doing or disagree with us, we're like torn in two. We don't know how to handle it. It feels very overwhelming. And as we transcend into self-authorship, we're able to hold someone else's disapproval or disagreement as an object. We're able to look at it objectively and say, yep, a bummer that they don't agree with this choice, but it's okay. I'll still be okay. So you can imagine from the self-authored perspective, as we grow and develop as adults, making decisions like not doing a crazy afternoon after school schedule with sports, even though all the other moms are doing it, if you're more self-authored, that's an easier decision for you to make, right? You're able to make that decision. If you're more self-authored, you're able to say no to things that feel threatening because you're like, but everybody else is doing it. And I, arrest me, I know <laughs> what that, I mean, I remember when my son was like three. I mean, I'm really gonna out myself on my own really amazing parenting skills here but Jack it's amazing that, that my son is, <laughs> still has a relationship with me but like when he was when he was three he was like okay so I you guys I'm a sw- i was a swimmer when I was little right it's so like I played every single sport on their son and my so we went to this survival swimming there's this you know I'm swimming in the pool another mother's kids by the way the other kids are like there are two, and they're already swimming like little fishes. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, "What okay. is going on here?" I'm and I and this is my mental operating system is like, "You're failing as a parent. You haven't given your child the opportunities to become excellent and exceptional." And this is your family. So then, of course, I'm like, "Well, where did you get lessons? And where did you do this?" And oh my god, I mm-hmm. you know taking notes. Okay, so then <laughs> I track down this survival swimming teacher. My kid is remember this? He's three, <laughs> and we, we go to the lessons and my son is not having it. He's just like, he's crying. He's not into it. He doesn't like it. And the instructor, at one point, it was like maybe two or three lessons in. He says to me, your son, he just needs more discipline. This is what oh this teacher said to me, okay? So the la- there was like, let's say it was like a series of four back-to-back intensive lessons. The fourth session, we come back and my son is like, I don't want to go. Please don't make me. I'm like, bah. and I remember- we're in the car on the way to the lesson. And I sit my son down, mind you three. Okay. And I look at him and I was like, kiddo, we are not going to let him beat us. Okay. We, you're going to go in there and you're going to just do your best and you're not going to let him beat you. And I'm giving him a pep talk. Like he's going to play the it's like championship game in his like senior year of lacrosse. Like, it's so crazy. <laughs> my son's looking at me like deer in headlights. Like, what is this crazy person about? And I was like, we'll get a Lego afterwards. Like, you're going to do this. You just prove him wrong. Okay. Like, don't yeah. let him win. And he's just like, psycho mom. Right. So I am completely, I, what is happening? Like, I am having a socialized mindset crisis. That's what's happening because I'm still developmentally as an adult. And mind you, I had my PhD from Columbia. <laughs> Like, I was ostensibly an adult, right? But what was actually happening was I'm having a socialized developmental stage crisis because this, in, in this situation, all these important others, like other parents, this teacher are telling me, you're not doing, you didn't do a good job with your kid or you failed somehow. And so I'm, instead of actually questioning like, huh, do I actually agree with this? do I think this guy is like, is this reasonable? No, I wasn't asking any of those questions. I was like, oh, oh, I'm not winning in this game. Well, damn it, we're going to win. <laughs> we're going to figure this out, kiddo. <laughs> like, so right. And I think the thing is, is like having a sense of humor about it and being able to laugh at it is like the most critical thing, because guess what? Guess what? Your kids are like, all of our children are going to be going through this exact same growth curve too. And we're going to have to have compassion for them when they're like, flipping out about something that at, we'll, maybe will be the grandparents looking and going, oh, honey, like this really doesn't matter. But they don't know that yet. They haven't internalized that lesson yet. They don't have those lens, the lens on, right? So we get to meet them where they're at. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors.
1: Moon Juice is a delicious pink drink that has the capacity to help you have a really good night's sleep, which is so important. It's formulated with three forms of bioavailable magnesium and L-theanine to help with muscle relaxation, deep sleep, healthy brain activity, and a deep calm. All things that are just not easy to come by as parents, but we know they're super important. So many of us are deficient in magnesium, over 50% in the U.S. This can look like brain fog, headaches, low mood, fatigue, insomnia. So it's really important to get quality magnesium powder to replenish your body. And since most magnesium supplements on the market contain one form of magnesium, magnesium has three forms in there to target muscles, brain, and digestion. And the ingredients are 100% traceable, unadulterated, sustainably sourced, and formulated for maximum absorption. And that means you get maximum results. And I just love magnesium because you could have a little yummy drink and fall asleep so beautifully, stay asleep, and then, you know, you wake up and you have a nice time being regular, which is a nice bonus. It's so easy to mix. One teaspoon in water dissolves instantly and tastes delicious. It's a great before bed ritual. So to get the sleep of your dreams, head to www.moonjuice.com humans and use the code human at checkout for 20% off. It's so important to replenish electrolytes. Did you know that? So that is both from, you know, having a few too many glasses of wine or a really intense workout. It's just important to replenish electrolytes. An element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and absolutely nothing you don't. So that means lots of salts and absolutely no sugar. With none of the junk, no sugar, no coloring, no artificial ingredients, no gluten, no filters, no BS... You can feel so much healthier drinking Element than other electrolyte replacers out there. And I don't know what happened in this middle-aged part of life, but absolutely any wine means that I'm going to have a headache the next day. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to try Element, see if it works. And it really helped. And I mean, I was not hungover. I really just have a glass of red wine and then I get a headache, and it's very sad. (laughs) So try Element out, and right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors or share Element with a salty friend. Get yours at drinkelement.com humans. This deal is only available through my link, so you have to go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-E nt.com slash humans. Well, if you think about even in my mom groups and parent groups, we don't mix first-time parents. Like I don't want parent first-time parents mixed in a group with parents of multiple aged kids because you know that the entire conversation is gonna be the wiser parents, I'm saying in quotes, telling the first-time parents, little kids, little problems, Right? who cares about this. And it's like, well, I'm not going to diminish their experience and their developmental right to want to focus on whether or not the first food should be sweet potato or oatmeal. Because even though I understand it doesn't matter if it's sweet potato or oatmeal, I'm, they need to get to that place. Totally. Not from being told that "Eh, it doesn't matter because that just puts you on the defensive and makes you feel less
0: than absolutely. And I think the other thing that's so, but the thing that's so important is that, and but that makes total sense is we assume that with age comes wisdom, but that's not actually true. Mm -hmm. It requires effort and it requires self inquiry and it requires us to actually question the assumptions that we have, like. If my son doesn't swim as well as these other kids do, or if my son doesn't get the right instruction for swimming at age three, or isn't a superstar swimmer at age three, some bad thing will happen in the future, which was totally my assumption, right? Like if you don't master these skills at this certain age, then it's just the trajectory is just all downhill, right? So, okay, so, but that is a very unquestioned, unsophisticated, not nuanced, mindset. So when I'm working with my clients, often I'll be like, okay, let's look at this belief system for what it is. Like it's it's not very sophisticated, right? It's like if my child doesn't get into X school, their life is over. It's like mm. Now, I understand because I'm also a parent and I'm a human being and I have blood in my veins, like the fear and trepidation of like, oh, gosh, I really want this thing to happen for my kid. And I hope it does. And if it doesn't, feeling really disappointed and sad. But the belief system around like if this specific thing doesn't happen, everything is a problem. It's like these are beliefs that didn't haven't grown up as you've grown up. Like they're stunted. Say more. Like it is like the kid who doesn't get into the, maybe their first choice college is like, my life is over. And we're like, okay, like we know that's not true. And it's a long life and there's lots of opportunities for things to like, you might have the best experience and right. We all know it's not that black and white, but that makes sense developmentally from where they're at. It's not a particularly sophisticated belief system it's this or bust. And our, what we want to do as we get older is we want to sort of disembed ourselves from these belief systems. We want to grow them up. It's a bummer and I'll figure it out is more sophisticated than like it's the end of the world.
1: And how do you acknowledge the feeling that it's the end of the world without, and not minimize it, but then move on toward and we will figure it out?
0: Well, I think that the developmental piece of this is that when a parent isn't, when they are doing their own work to grow and evolve and question their own kind of unsophisticated belief systems or unquestioned belief systems that they like, whatever that we've held on to since we were little, That you're not going to get as hooked. So like if you're as, if you're hooked, if your child, something happens to your kid, like they, let's say, I don't know, they're going for the school play. They don't get the lead and they're so devastated. If you're hooked too, you are going to have a really hard time self-regulating your response to your kid. Right? Yeah. Like for example,
1: that investment, (laughs) yeah, yeah.
0: If your child, like, let's say they don't want to do something and you're really hooked. Like, I don't know. We don't play soccer in our family. So let's use this as an example. But like, let's say you, you were a soccer player. You're like really into it. It's your thing. And everybody, all the other kids play soccer and it's a big deal. And your child doesn't want to play. And maybe they play a little bit. And then they're really protesting playing. If you are hooked into the belief system that like this deeply matters, like the other kids are doing it. So my kid needs to do it. The other kids are exceptional at this. My kid needs to be exceptional. And by the way, this may not be your like on the top of your like this not may not be present in your consciousness, but it may be there. This underlying belief that like if they're not excellent at something, then it's going to be a real problem, right? If you're at all hooked by that belief, you are not going to be showing up to your child like we can talk. This is where we got to talk about the scripts. But like you are not going to be showing up to your child calmly. You are going to be showing up to your child with thinly veiled emotions. Right? With thinly veiled, like completely. Like you might
1: say the right thing, but actually inside of you, you're so invested in their doing well that you're actually as devastated. You are not differentiating yourself from them totally. and their experience. You're just giving us exactly that you are.
0: Like you, you may be saying the right quote unquote, the best practices, the thing that we're supposed to say or that ostensibly we're supposed to say, but. I bet you there will be, it will be in a passive aggressive sandwich.
1: (laughs) Sorry for laughing. It's a great,
0: right? For handing them like, uh, yeah, a passive aggressive sand dog. You're like, oh, you know, it's, you know, if it's your choice, it's your choice. That's, you just, you honor your choices. But meanwhile, your whole body language, everything about you is like, but let you, let us be clear. I am deeply disappointed. (laughs) You know? And the kids are so attuned. Like, if they're tuned to anyone, they're attuned to you. Oh, God. Okay. So, a
1: couple of things I want to get across today in this conversation for folks listening. First, how can we develop our self authorship? And second, what are some of the things that we can ask ourselves and do for ourselves inside so that that perfectionism that keeps trying to like pop itself out in those moments of interaction with our kids. How can we quiet that noise? But without, you know, I don't want to pretend it's not there and reject it completely because it, it almost gives it more power. How do we quiet the noise so that we can accept like, yeah, there's a part of me, but it's not the part of me that's working for me or my kid right
0: now. Right. Well, the first question about like how we can be more self-authored, and I think within this parenting sphere, like I think that the one of the things that really kind of fascinated me is this. I've sort of seen this increase of script scripting with parenting. So people that will follow different experts, so to speak, that have they want to give you scripts on how to talk to your children. Now, this can be very helpful when you're like, oh. If it makes you sit back and say, oh, that's a really interesting, I wouldn't have approached it that way. Why? And you actually are digging into your own set of your own beliefs. Like, why wouldn't I approach it that way? Why doesn't that, why wouldn't that be a way? Like, that's a very, that's a great entry point to start to ask these questions about like the way that I do things and why do I do them that way? What is it that I'm believing? But the problem is, is that most people are taking these scripts from a place of like, socialization, right? From a socialized mindset saying, oh, this is the better thing to say, therefore I'll say it. And I've tried it too, guys. It works maybe once. I'll have, there will be like an eclipse and I'll say it and it magically works. And the kids do something, they comply or they handle something in the way that I want them to, to handle it. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, this is awesome. This works. And then I do it again in another scenario and it doesn't work at all. And then I'm feeling even more frustrated because what do you mean the scripts don't work? What do you mean that if I do, I'm doing it the quote unquote right way, why isn't this working? Because I'm not actually asking like the deeper questions about what is activating me? What are the psychological threats that are making me so nuts? Let's actually dig into those things so that instead of just, reading off a script with my kids the next time that they come with, to me with something that may have activated me in the past i can actually talk to them without reacting and engage with them without reacting right which you know and which is normally if i can be stay calm i'm going to handle something better right so i'm less emotionally reactive i'm less i've got my like psychological hackles up so i think that that's This is the problem with the sort of scripting is that it's good for starting off. Like, it's a great place to start off and think about like, okay, how am, like, let's be more intentional maybe with how I'm showing up with my kid, like really helpful. But if it's about like, oh, if I do these things, then I'll produce the perfect child. Oy vey, like we in trouble now because it's never going to work because we can't produce the perfect child. Like it's not going to happen. Right. And, and that creates such a stressful pressure dynamic between the parent and the child. And now a quick break. So I can tell you about my sponsor.
1: Obviously I'm so committed to health, mental health, physical health, health matters for you. You need to be a healthy parent to be available for your kids. And that is why it's important to make sure you keep up with your checkups and screenings. And finding the right doctor can be really hard, especially because you have to find somebody who's near you, is available, and takes your insurance. And that is why I really like ZocDoc. It's a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. On ZocDoc, you can find every specialist under the sun, whether you're trying to straighten those teeth, fix your achy back, get a mammogram, or check a mole. ZocDoc has you covered. And ZocDoc's mobile app is as easy as ordering an Uber. So go to ZocDoc.com and find the doctor that is right for you. Book an appointment in person or remotely that works for your schedule and keep up with your health checks. Go to ZocDoc.com humans and download the ZocDoc app for free and then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available in 24 hours. That's zocdoccom dot humans. ZocDoc.com slash humans. Go to ZocDoc.com slash humans and download the ZocDoc app for free and then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. So if you don't know that that's, that the intention is there, what are some clues? Because I'm sure that you don't think that you're like, if I do this, then I will create the perfect child. But that is what's possibly going on in
0: Number one red flag is if you're doing a script and it doesn't produce the desired effect and you lose your mind or you're internally losing your mind, you know immediately you're like, "Oh, I was yeah. doing this to get the result I really wanted. I was doing this to get to right. make them comply to an outcome I really wanted. I wasn't doing this to connect with my kid.
1: well, I think what happens is when people say, "Well, I did that and it didn't work and it, and I'm like, "What do you mean it didn't work? There's no what's to work you wanted." things to magically turn around. But really, when we talk about those strategies, it's about exactly building the longer term relationship, supporting your child, helping them move through the world as members of society. But it's not about if I do this, then this will work. You're right. That is when you get stuck. Always. Because we have, we have a particular job. And then beyond that, how our kids are is not part of that.
0: No, and I, but I, and I think that the, one of the things that doesn't get t- discussed enough is the fact that, and I say this like as both of us as developmental psychologists, but part of the problem is that the way, this is a little bit what my dissertation was on, but I mean, part of the problem is that most of the developmental literature, just because of the constraints of doing research, is we've looked at some variable in the mother and then, the, and then how that variable in the mother affects the outcome of the kid a lot of the way that research has been done. With unidirectional, we're looking at one direction, the moms, whatever that characteristic of the mother is, and then how the child ends up. And that is a really, I mean, talk about unsophisticated. She's Louise, as if there's no other influences, as if there's not a dynamic back and forth between a kid and a, a child and a mom. Like the kid's temperament and all of that, Affects the mother too, right? So there's this bi directional thing that's going on. We don't talk Mm -hmm. about that. And so I think that moms in this generation, and I have so much compassion for this, just puts just so much pressure on themselves because I think the ultimate fear is if, you know, something, if my kids don't succeed in various ways, it's my fault. Yes. And the pressure of that is debilitating and makes it to me like I completely understand why people are clamoring to get these like can you just tell me the right script so that I can feel like I'm doing it right because I think the fear of you know and again like if we're going to bring it back to perfectionism there's kind of two different types of perfectionism there's perfectionistic striving which is the hope to it's wanting to do well hoping for success and then there's also perfectionistic concern which is more of like the fear of failure right and there's perfectionistic striving is more correlated with le- it's correlated with less distress neg- negatively correlated with distress Whereas like perfectionist concern, so worried about more self-criticism, worried about what other people think, it's more externally oriented and more about your anxiety, that there's a gap between who you're supposed to be and who you are. That perfectionist concern is more correlated with anxiety, depression, all of these negative things that we don't necessarily want to perpetuate. Stress, pressure, all of that stuff, right? So I think that this is, moms have been kind of, given this very heavy mantle. And I just, I would love to sort of, I'd love to take it off and say, your your kid has its own journey. You've got to not take away their tasks of growing up. And it's really, really hard. The harder thing in some way is to allow your child to find their own path. The harder thing is to sit back and say, Okay, I'm gonna trust that swimming might not be my child's thing and they're gonna find the thing that is their thing. And I'm gonna just sit without the micromanaging and the pushing and the like trying to get it make everything work and perfect. I'm gonna let my children explore their own interests and passions or whatever that may be. And also have some basic standards for how we do things in the house and all of that. Like we don't, it's not just a total free for all but where the pressure is there's a little less pressure and it's it that requires developmental growth for the parent the parent caveat of course is
1: recognizing your cultural and historic needs
0: Oh yeah like I think exactly like so let me let me make this really clear like I definitely grew up in so if we're talking about socialized mindset the important thing to understand about socialized mindset is that it depends it's very contextual right so right i happen to be my socialized mindset and it's the most hilarious thing now because i my my parents have moved to where i live so i get to see in real time like my mom's mindset and it's fascinating to me right so the It'll be like, you better get the kids whatever lesson, because if they don't, they're going to be embarrassed when they're 18 and they don't know how to do play tennis or something. And I'm like, whoa, like, that's so fascinating. The reason that you wanted me to do all these things is so you could mitigate embarrassment. Like who's embarrassment? Yours? You know what I mean? Like I wasn't embarrassed, but it's just so fascinating. Like, oh, that's how you saw things. Like, that's what seemed really important to you. So that was my kind of cultural context, but for someone else, it may be growing up in in different cultures where there's like different expectations of women, different expectations of men, different roles that are societally important. So it just depends on where you live and what the culture and the social context is, that could be very different. So it's not what, so in adult developmental. It's like it's not what you know; it's how you know it. So it's not the content, it's the way that we think. So you can have two people that, that like one person can be like, oh, I don't push my kids at all. And that also could be socialized too, because maybe they grew up in a more artistic family and that's the way that they, right? So it's really important to understand, like this is, it's complex because we're complex. But the more important thing is, it's like what, like it could be like family ties, right? It's like Alex Keaton in his family, mm-hmm. right? Like as the Republican, like with this little tie, he was the one that was trying to sort of like rebel and in that way, because he grew up in a more- rebel by like, being an overachiever. Exactly. He <laughs> was rebelling by being an overachiever. So it just depends on what your con- your context is. But I think really beginning to understand that the biggest thing for a adults to really start to pay attention to is when you get activated like when you're upset about something like why am i upset about this thing and being willing to sit and explore those things like okay am i upset because this is how i think it should be and if my child doesn't do this then something it's something bad in the future will happen they'll miss an opportunity or they'll have less opportunities or whatever or and begin to start to question why am I getting so upset about this thing? Why am I getting so activated? Why does this feel like such a big deal to me? And really in, investigate those, those, those beliefs. Cause the only way that we grow. And what I would say is that as we grow as adults and we own our own, like where I can hold my mom's opinion, like your children will be embarrassed because you're not getting them tennis lessons. I can hold that opinion of her's as an object and look at it and be like, okay, I understand where she's coming from. I understand how she feels this way. And she, and to my mother, this is so real. You guys, like it is very real. And to me, I'm looking at it like, oh, that's so as we grow is to make these sort of believe, is this something I want to care about or not? Is this, does this actually matter to me or not really?
1: And then you might even come out the other side of like, yeah, it does matter to me. (laughs) but how can I do this in a way that matters to me that is also healthy?
0: You know, it's so interesting how, and I was telling this story to Elisa before we were on and I was like, I had this really funny thing that happened this summer, which is we live now in a mountain town. Our, Our life is really casual. I did not grow up as casually as I live now. And we are having dinner with paper towel napkins on the kitchen island. Like it's all pretty casual. And we were going to a family trip in Europe and I was, we were, my husband and I were using this as an opportunity to be like, okay, we're going to go out to dinner. We're going to practice some table manners. Like, this is a good idea. Let's go do this. So we're taking the kids out and going to restaurants and teaching them some table manners. And these are the fork you use and put your napkin. You're like, let's talk about caring about how you show up at a restaurant, et cetera. All which it matters to me is like, they do need to learn how to not be wild beasts. Restaurant. And at one point, my daughter, like, turned to me and she's like, she starts to cry. She's eight. Okay. She starts to cry. She's like, Mom, I don't want to go to England because everybody in England is perfect. And I just looked at her like, Oh boy, (laughs) this backfired, you know? And I was just started laughing. I was like, Oh, sweetheart. Like, I, okay. You know what? That was not at all the point here. But no they're all humans, just like you. It is just that we don't really typically go out to eat that much and we're going to be going to restaurants. And this is, but if this isn't, this is not as heavy duty as maybe we made it seem. And my husband and I were like cracking up about it. But, and then it was like a good learning experience for opportunity for me too, which is like, oh, of my two children, guess who's more sensitive to these messages? My daughter, my son is like, what? I mean, it (laughs) could have hit him in the face. He's like, I don't He didn't care. It didn't seem like a big deal to him, but to my daughter, she maybe internalized it a little bit more seriously and put more, and so she has a temperamentally, she's someone who's going to put more pressure on herself. And it's like, good for me to know.
1: Right. That's actually just good for you to know. No more, no less. Good for you to know.
0: Right. Like good information. Like, okay. So then when I'm dealing with her, recognizing that she may have a little bit more sensitivity to that. It may be something that we need to talk about more. And it also may just be like, yep, part of my daughter's journey is going to be wrestling with, I put pressure on myself and learning how to navigate that. And I'm like, yep. And for another kid, it's another thing. And so I think about like, okay, My job is to examine my thoughts and feelings around her being hard on herself. What gets me hooked? And what gets me hooked is this idea of like, this is maladaptive. I mean, I'm speaking in psychological language, but like, this is my mom language is like, this is bad. She's gonna, (laughs) she's gonna, she's so hard on herself. She's gonna put so much pressure on herself that she's gonna be the kid that has that this becomes an issue for her. And, and like, that's going to make her life really small and, and, and not fun and she won't take risks. And okay. So then I'm like projecting all of this stuff onto her. So I have to then take a step back and be like, okay, interesting. Like this is the story that hooks me. None of which has actually happened yet. None of which is actually true Mm. in the same way that like maybe another child's like, Lack of organizational stuff hooks the story of like, oh my God, they're going to fail at school and they're not going to get to college. Now, our job as parents is to actually be able to take those narratives and look at them objectively, right? This is our developmental work. So, my job as a parent is to, and I think the most helpful thing, if you want to talk about like, how do we become more self authored? What do we do? The most helpful thing is like, could you just with a pencil and paper write down what is the terrible, horrible, big, bad assumption that you have? What's this terrible story? My kid freaked out because they got an A minus, not an A on the paper. And then what is the big, bad, terrible story that you're telling yourself about what's going to happen? My child doesn't care that they got a C minus on a paper. What is the big, bad, terrible outcome story that you have about them? and write that down. It's illuminating, right? And you normally can see, oh yeah, where did I pick up this idea? Like you normally can, there's normally some biography to that belief. You're like, oh, isn't that interesting? My story for my daughter is like, oh, I'm reacting to my daughter like she's me, (laughs) not me. Or, I'm reacting to my child like they're going to like their aunt so and so or uncle so and so. And they're not these people. They have a different Mm -hmm. path and a different journey. And the more we can stay present with them as themselves, the more connected we'll be with them and the better off everybody will be. And we don't need a script to do that.
1: So you're going to take a pen to paper and you're going to write down that story that you've written for the whole future. And as you do that, you're going to be able to separate yourself from that story and separate your kids from that story. And just in that process.
0: 100%. Like I know this, it sounds so basic, but I've had clients that it's just changed their entire relationship with their kid because the minute they actually write down this catastrophic story in their mind, they're like, oh my God, they see what they've done. They're like, I have created, I have basically decided that this child's entire future is Thing I've ever tried to mitigate like whatever the things that happened to me or the things that happened to a family member or whatever it is you're trying to protect your child from and like you have this whole story that if I don't do these things or if they don't do these things then this whole we're going to the whole story is going to get going right like we've kind of we've like flipped the switch somehow and that, that off it goes like the narrative just starts to play like we've pressed, we've pressed play on the story and when you begin to see it objectively, you're like, okay, interesting. Like, I do see that if my son isn't a champion survival swimmer at age three, that they're not going to become like a ne'er do well delinquent at age 15, right? So, like, that you begin to see that you're like, maybe. <laughs> Maybe this doesn't entirely make sense. And it just helps you take a little bit in in acceptance and commitment therapy. They call this defusing, right? You begin to defuse from this story that feels terrifying. And then your nervous
1: system doesn't message to your kids, even if you have the right script, quote unquote, that story. Because you now changed, you shifted your inside, not just your outside.
0: Exactly. So then like you, then you're actually having a conversation with your kid we are like, Okay, you don't want to play soccer. Like, okay, talk to like talk to me about it. like what's going on. Tell me what why like what about it you don't like and what might interest you to do if you weren't playing soccer. Like, what might you be interested in doing? We can actually have a conversation where our nervous system isn't on fight or flight stress response. We're like actually genuinely calm because we don't actually think it's a catastrophic choice. We're genuinely calm and interested. Like, okay, tell me more, as opposed to like. A thinly veiled like, okay, great, that's the decision you want to make. Like, all right. And then but it's like there's so much tension because we're so insecure with the choice that our child wants to make, because we have a story in our head of that that something really scary and terrible is gonna happen to our kids. And it comes from a place of love and concern. All of this comes from a place of love and concern. And
1: we should say to end this conversation that we have to have more of that. Even in the process of knowing or recognizing you're doing this, you didn't like screw up your kids with this and don't write that story either. Just in the future, now you have a new strategy, you have a new tool so that you can help support yourself in this growth because we are continuing to develop.
0: We're just humans in relationship with each other. And the more that we can show up like from that place of curiosity and love, they're they're like let's be clear, there is a way that you can get it right. And I just see all these moms like trying so hard to get it right. And I'm with you. Like, I want to get it right too. Man, you want, I have a lot of terrifying narratives that I would like to avoid. (laughs) Oh my goodness. (laughs) Trust me. And I can feel myself getting, go down the rabbit hole with some of them. But our job is just to come back to first to connect connect with ourselves. And that's really what self-authorship is all about. It's like, Can we connect with what's true for us? Can we connect with our own values? Can we connect with our, can we have a relationship, a curious relationship with ourselves? And from that, we can meet our kids with a lot less pressure and tension. And because if we're still in a socialized mindset where we're worried about what everyone is thinking about us, our kids become an extension of that. And our relationship with them is really pressured, unfortunately. And then I talk to you and you're like, there's just endless opportunities for repair. I'm like, okay, which belief system makes me show up as a better parent? you the one that says there's endless opportunities to repair things because then I actually feel some hope. And then I feel like I can show up again tomorrow being like, well, yesterday <laughs> wasn't my best day. So let's, <laughs> let's regroup. I'm sorry about that. And, and have a little bit of a sense of humor about it and then move forward. But I can, I get, in the grips of like I've screwed it up forever it's just there it feels so dire and that is heavily rooted in science
1: i mean ed tronic studied repair for decades and the truth is it's not just like there's endless opportunities for repair but in fact there have to be those moments of discord or we don't grow so it's beautiful science that actually is there to serve us as parents who are feeling this weight because it's not just something that makes, it's not just a salve, it's like the path to growth.
0: Exactly, I think that's exactly right. And I think that if, if parents were so focused on our kids' growth curve that we forget that, that we've also got to engage with ours.